Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. Coach, too. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The Fed's tired of keeping interest rates low. Economy's too strong, too hot, too much easy money. So it's time to tighten, maybe tighten hard. Or in plain English, if you believe the Federal Reserve plays a big role in the direction of the stock market, and it does, you won't like the minutes they released today because it's clear they want to hit the brakes on the economy. Hence the harsh declines this afternoon and then the Dow closing down 393 points, S&P tumbling 1.94%, and the NASDAQ plunging 3.34%, the worst since February of last year. Now, I don't think these minutes signal that we're about to have a repeat of the fourth quarter of 2018 when a new Fed chief came in and threatened to hit us with three rate hikes in a row, lockstep. These are just minutes. They're not policy, not even transcripts, just a debate among Fed officials about what to do. And Jay Powell is now a lot more cognizant of the power of his own words, unlike back then when he was a rookie. But it's clear the Fed is no longer your friend. So what does this mean to us as we uh, look for opportunities in 2022? Same thing I've been saying since Powell pivoted in November. Swap out of the still richly valued conceptual stocks with no earnings and swap into the boring, tangible ones with profits and dividends and maybe even buybacks. At these intense moments in the stock market, what I like to do is actually look at the indices in real time as the day goes on. When these minutes came out at 2 o'clock, uh, you can see the Nasdaq got slammed. So here, I mean, there were some worries, but it was, the really nasty stuff that was in the minutes was not in the market. This is when it got digested in the market. You can see the sellers feeling like rats, like rats from a sinking ship. Now, does this mean we are about to have our first real correction in ages? Or has the Nasdaq been selling off precisely because investors predicted we'd be hearing something like this from the Fed? And we're knee deep into the sell-off. Honestly, I don't think this is what Wall Street was anticipating today. I mean, obviously it didn't, or else the market would have gone like this. The Fed minutes are more hawkish. Most people didn't believe that they not only taper their bond buying, they're now talking about finding ways to start selling bonds. So again, had it just been a garden variety minutes, it would have gone like this. It didn't. 
This shocked people. So it went down like this. Might do the same in the morning if any of the strategists get a, hold, get a hold of this and think, wow, maybe I'm too bullish. Remember, when the Fed sells bonds, that takes money out of the system, money that could have gone to finance growth in the economy and ultimately the stock market. Some of the actions suggested by the minutes are novel. But if you step back for the last couple of months, I've been telling you, please don't fight the Fed. Precisely because the really expensive price to sell stocks get hammered whenever the Fed tightens. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter whether they're doing orthodox rate hikes, something more unusual. This is what happens. You want to sidestep that decline. Now, look, if you really like these stocks, circle back at a lower level. Market's way too overbought, by the way, to think that we can just bottom right away. <clears throat> Although some stocks will. In my experience, these incredible obliterations of growth stocks, they do end. In fact, they tend to end at the end of the third day today, and the best ones start bottoming as early as tomorrow. After all, these growth stocks have been pulverized since Powell's pivot in November, that it wouldn't be too surprising if the selling lets up sometime soon. So in other words, you can see that the market's going to open down again tomorrow. Hey, by the way, if the market opens up tomorrow, please don't get fooled. It will start going back down again. That's just scalpers who bought it right here, and they'll flip it right here. In my opinion, that's what's happened. So how should you position yourself not this trading stuff? But how should you position yourself now that the Fed's uh, serious about fighting inflation? All right, first, the companies with no earnings or big losses per share, in other words, the ones that are losing money per share, they can try to bottom. They even can try to bounce. But they have no real place in your portfolio right now because they're just not as good as their profitable peers with good balance sheets, many of which have come down big, especially in tech, and also have good growth rates. Now, I know there was a negative chatter, say, for about Salesforce today. Salesforce seeing its business slowing. But that sucks down more than 80 bucks from its highs, including 20 points just today. It sells at 48 times earnings. Granted, that's not cheap versus the average stock, but it is not an average company. It's rarely cheap, and it looks a lot like past bottoms in this terrific tech company. Can it go down another 10, 15, 20 points? Of course. I started liking it at 8, all right? I mean, every time it's got, it got crushed like this, if I just said, ooh, I'm scared, think about it. How many times I would have been faked out? How about Meta Platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook? That stock's down 60 from its highs. Now it sells for just 20 times earnings. What is it, a serial company? 20 times earnings for one of the fastest-growing companies in the world. That's a pretty darn attractive point. Palo Alto Networks, really expensive, down more than 65 from its highs, but it's doing spectacularly, although it sells at 70 times earnings. If that one drops another 35 points, I would pounce it by 35 points. That's like a blink of the eye. Finally, you're getting a chance to get back into NVIDIA which is very expensive, as always. But it's down 70 points from its high, sells at just 50 times earnings, had a great talk from the CFO today at a J.P. Morgan conference and yesterday by a, a terrific gaming guy at CES. You know what? I'd say if the stock opens down, I'd start buying it tomorrow. There. Now, understand, I'm highlighting how far they've fallen from their highs because I always hear people complaining that they bought at the high. They bought these high-quality tech stocks when they were flying. You're certainly not buying them at the high today if you bought them. Certainly not tomorrow if we go down again. You're buying them after they've been down for days and days and days, if not weeks and weeks and weeks. And even though they might be clobbered again tomorrow, well, you've got to pick your spot here. You can't act as if this was their first day down. The ones that don't make money that are issuing shares that trade at multiples of sales, I, I, they're too hard for me, okay? You can try them. I, I have no idea when they're going to buy them. I, to me, it's not worth it. As for the tangible stocks, the, the stocks of companies that make real things and real money, they've now spiked. And I'm actually feeling a little less confident on a daily trading basis. I think those can come down a little. I'm getting more enticed by the profitable tech names that just got beheaded. Price does matter to me. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. 
Uh, Nucor, okay, the great steel company. We own it for the Chapel Trust. I've said over and over again that I like this company. No one else did. The stock was getting clubbed down to the high 90s again, low 100s. I told a CMC Investing Club subscribers to buy shares in December after the stock had just been crushed, even though it reported very good preliminary numbers. Today, though, when the stock was up seven in the mid-120s, we sent out a bullet saying we'd peel some off if we could. We don't buy up seven. We sell up seven, particularly if the stock's up $20 before then. You know what that's called? That's called discipline. You want to buy into weakness and you want to sell into strength. Why I'm even thinking about buying any, why am I, why am I thinking about buying anything, right? If the Fed's no longer a friend, well, that's wrong. Uh, aren't we supposed to not fight the Fed? No, that's wrong. You want to, when the Fed is fighting you, you've got to be more selective. First, let me give you some reasons. The NASDAQ is down huge. And you have to pick among the rubble when it does that. It's already down just again a second. Some stocks actually do well when rates go up. For instance, this is when you take a look at the banks that came down at the end of the day. They benefit from higher rates. Third, there are plenty of special situations out there with an upcoming event, a catalyst. Eli Lilly with a decision about its Alzheimer's or obesity drugs. Bausch Health, which is breaking itself up into three companies. Remember what Joe Papa said? Boeing with a gigantic sale of planes to an airline that had been an Airbus client. Those are special situations. Finally, there are, well, let's think about this. They're minutes, right? They're merely minutes. They're not the actions. After we get a very strong employment number on Friday that shows a big jump in wages, and we were going to get that, after we get a lot of woes me inflation numbers in the next two weeks, it's entirely possible that we might see a peak in inflation because of maybe a peak in Omicron. And that's a contra view that you're going to hear about later in the show, not related to Omicron, but from someone who really knows things well. You never want to go overboard on something as amorphous as the minutes, even when they're as hawkish as they were. If the Nasdaq were up more than 3% this week, then I would be perturbed. But down 3.5%? Or how about, geez, down almost 7 since the year began? Somebody got it right to sell, but how long can they stay right? When they toss these high-quality babies out with the stinky bathwater that the investment bankers have been pumping out for the last 18 months, that's an opportunity to buy, not sell. The quality companies, don't come to me with, don't, you know, don't rent the lemonade. You know what I mean? Like, don't do that to me. Yeah, don't, don't tell me I got to go buy some of the real reels and stuff. I, no, I know, man. Get real real, will you? Bottom line, let me put it this way. If you buy here, you certainly aren't buying at the top, are you? You're about as far away as you can be without going into a vicious bear market, which I think is unlikely. Get real, real. Ann in Indiana, Ann. Jim, it's Ann. Thanks for taking my call. Of We're course. freezing out here. However, you've been talking about companies with real profits this year. But could you talk a little bit more about that? Because could that sometimes mean EBITDA, gross profit? No, gross see, that's the problem. Like Airbnb. No, it's probably, you know, and Airbnb is great. Brian Chesky is terrific. Tony Hsu at DoorDash is great. These are stocks that you can probably buy lower than they are now. They are down a lot, but they can probably go even lower because they are not making money. But they're great companies. And let me just go a step further. Let's add this charitable trust for young people, okay, in your 20s. You have to buy these now. Someone in their 20s got their whole life ahead of them. They can afford to have Airbnb down 30. They can afford to have DoorDash down 30. That's who should be buying these stocks. People who don't have their whole lives to make a comeback if they don't rally. 
This is an age situation. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to Lucas in Minnesota, please. Lucas. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm still following the advice of your book, uh, Grow Rich Carefully, looking for good companies with high dividends. I noticed right. on the uh, investment club you're also looking for that. So I've got one I'd like to suggest for 2022, and that would be Clorox. Oh, I'm so glad you asked me about this, Lucas. Dividend. I'm so glad because I have been telling people that my eye is on Clorox, 2.6% yield. My wife actually came home with the... Uh, Reflight the, the pill, you know, the uh, probiotic, I renew life. I said, I've been using them for ages. I think Clorox is right. I think Clorox is right right here. So break out the kings first and do some buying. Just saying. See, that's what you do. You hold it up to it and you say, um, Australia denied entry to Novak. Oh, no, that's a news thing I got. All right. The Fed's serious about fighting inflation. Now you know how to play it. I gave you a playbook on Mad Tonight. There are a handful of winners in the Dow for 2021, and I'm breaking down the stocks that outperform the rest. Then the dogs in the Dow were in focus at the end of the year, but could every dog have its day, or some of them have, like, fleas and stuff, you know? I'm going to give you my take in a shampoo. Um, now, the market is hyper-focused on inflation going to the new year, so I'm going off the charts to see what 2022 should have in store. So, Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of mad money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. looking like 2022 might be the year of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, at least in comparison to the S&P and definitely the NASDAQ. I keep telling you we need boring stocks of real companies that make real products and generate real profits, which is what this index is all about. So which of the Dow's 10s, uh, let's do the top, 10 top performers of 2021, which can repeat their gains in the new year? In some ways, this exercise is more about psychology than sales or earnings. Case in point, the biggest winner in the Dow last year, Home Depot. While the Despot reported a series of amazing quarters, so did many other retailers. Its stock still managed to finish the year up 56%, though. Because underneath the market's broader optimism, I think there's a belief that housing will stay strong. And the safest way to play housing isn't with a home builder. It's with a retailer that caters to both new building and renovation. Doesn't hurt the contractors seem to prefer Home Depot over Lowe's. Plus, the Despot has so much hidden technology going for it that it's tough to compete against them. But in the end, I think the remote work zeitgeist is what drove this stock higher in 2021. The slower the Fed tightens uh, going forward, the more likely Home Depot will have another good year. Of course, today we learn that the Fed is much more hawkish than we thought. If you like this one, please let it go down a few more points. It is very close to its high. Second, how did the stock of Microsoft soar 51% last year? Well, pretty simple. Price increases. Uh, then also LinkedIn. How about a great gaming business? How about a strong PC business? How about Azure, their cloud infrastructure division? In other words, Microsoft's firing on all cylinders. We own this one for the Chapel Trust. It's been a battle to keep it on the sheets, as portfolio managers say, because the stock's going up so much and so much and so much that it's certainly not cheap. But Microsoft has become the biggest momentum stock in the world. And I bet it will stay that way because it's got a habit of crushing the estimates. Intriguing because it's now down 30 points from its high. Now, momentum stocks aren't just companies that have no earnings, okay? Momentum stocks can be companies that where they just keep beating the numbers. But down 30 points is a lot uh, for this stock, and it might be time to start a position if you don't earn it. Third, Goldman Sachs got the lead out, uh, got the lead out last year, uh, rallying 45%. Woo. But I just keep thinking that my old investment bank employer has to do something else to get more respect from the stock market, because even after this monster run, the darn thing still sells at less than 10 times earnings. I find that preposterously cheap. But Wall Street has trouble getting its collective head around Goldman. Uh, it, it's a good, great trading firm, but no, ever, no one ever seems to want to give them credit for that. It has an amazing wealth management business, yet somehow it's never gotten to the point where that's what the stock trades on. By the way, it has a fantastic Blackstone-like private equity business. People don't care about that either. By the way, um, the charitable trust swapped out of Goldman and swapped into Morgan Stanley because Morgan Stanley is, frankly, more easy to understand. 
It's a wealth business. I know that Marcus, the consumer-focused business of Goldman, is beloved internally. But Wall Street could care less. Goldman has the Apple credit card, but nobody can figure out if they're making any money on it. Making matters worse, the 2% yield is pretty paltry, and there's no sense that Goldman's going to raise that dividend anytime soon. In short, while this is a very good brokerage and advisory firm, it gets no respect because people can't figure out why it doesn't do something more growth-oriented with its capital. Management would tell you it's got plenty of growth, but no growth stock sells for less than 10 times their earnings. Then again, maybe I'm making the whole mountain out of a molehill here because, I mean, the perfect is clearly the enemy of the good. If you own the stock and had a fabulous run last year, you did great. What's more to ask? Now, if you want to know which of the Dow winners is most likely to put on repeat performance, as I said this uh, when I was on halftime today on uh, Scotty show, I prefer... And I bet it would be United Health Group, UNH, which is number four, up 43% last year. UNH is the dominant player in the managed care space. Every time I see the stock rally, I get a little upset that we don't own it for the charitable trust. But we're just waiting for a dip. Unfortunately, UNH rarely gives you one. So maybe this is the year we just swallow our discipline and start buying, as I said, on halftime today. Fifth, did you see Cisco moving up like crazy? This stock, which we own for the Travel Trust, jumped 41% in 2021. What a quiet 41. And that's without the big orders that should come this year. Cisco, run by the great Chuck Robbins, is now solidifying itself in the data center and the service provider worlds. Its order growth is the best it's been in ages, and orders are the best predictor of earnings in the business. I think it's still a buy. You should hope this one comes down so you can buy even more in weakness. Speaking of buys, the Dow's sixth best performer is another charitable trust name, Chevron, which has a big dividend, terrific portfolio of growth properties, and a buyback. Even better, Chevron's figured out that oil and gas companies need to commit actual money to helping the environment. They put $10 billion into various cleaner energy initiatives, find some that actually make a lot of money. Now, we bought it for the charitable trust. Uh, we had Mike Worth on the show, the CEO, and I said, oh, we got to own this for the trust. This guy's just too good. And we got comfortable that the money is going to be used to fund growth initiatives, not just ones that uh, hurt the earnings and the out. Years because a lot of companies that do greenwash or, or they say they spend a lot of money to go green and they ain't going green at all. Seventh is American Express. Right now, the stock is paused as the travel and leisure industry takes its Omicron medicine. But once it makes uh, through this latest outbreak, I think the stock can start running again and reprise its 35 percent gain from last year. Oh, by the way, Stephanie Link seemed to agree with that, too, when she and I were going at it on halftime. I like the fact that there's tremendous travel demand, and we know that from figures. And it's only going to get better when Omicron burns itself through because people want to go somewhere. If you think this decade will be the roaring 20s revisited, then American Express fits that theme perfectly. Now, breaks Apple. What can I say uh, other than own it? Don't trade it. I still think the real story here is the ancillary products like the watch and the AirPods, along, of course, with the burgeoning service revenue stream. In other words, it's not just about the phone. Now, if you don't own it yet, you can probably wait for some Apple-hating analysts to knock it down and get a better buy. Ninth is Walgreens. Now, this is a winning by default situation. The actual company couldn't have been managed more poorly than it was before Roz Brewer from Starbucks took over. She's a genius, got a 3.5% yield, powerful COVID tailwinds, and a stock that trades at a considerable discount to CVS. Walgreens now is a lot to like. I think it can give you another pretty good year after running 30% in 2021 because Roz is so good. I like it. Finally, the 10th best performer in the Dallas McDonald's. I bet this one can replicate its 25% gain from last year. Remember, more than a... CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
110,000 restaurants have gone under since the beginning of the pandemic. McDonald's has the best balance sheet and scale to be a great core holding for many of the big institutions' portfolios. Why don't we own it for the Chapel Trust? Well, because we're stupid. We should have. I mean, sometimes that's what I do. I kick myself, and I kick it openly. I'm not like all these other people come on air and say, like, oh, well, we're just waiting. No, I should have pulled the trigger. It was wrong. I should have pulled the trigger in United Health. But, you know, as Joey Brown said at the end of Something Like It Hot, nobody's perfect. Just like United Health, this one never comes in. And that's why you have to hold your nose and do some buying, even as it's already run. Although I like Chipotle more, especially since that stock's down about 100, about 350 points from the high, McDonald's is the more defensible and defensive name because it can triumph worldwide over any competitor. Now, I often complain that this market is a prosaic beast with few real genuine surprises. And this list certainly hasn't done anything to change my mind. It's not easy to say because they are, they're cheap because of the exception of Cisco, Goldman, and maybe Chevron. They definitely aren't that cheap. And even the latter needs to cool off before I buy more shares. But the bottom line, of all the stocks I've covered so far this week, this is the group that I think has the best chance of repeating its unbelievable performance, even with the Fed being your foe. And it'll be led by United Health, McDonald's, and Walgreens. Stick with Kramer. It's January, which means it's time for the biggest loser of the Dow. Kramer's reviewing last year's laggards to help get your portfolio into shape. Next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. the dogs of the Dow, the mangy losers, hated by all, ready for the, the, the pound, or maybe even the last chance ranch. These are supposed to be reborn in the new calendar year, aided by the end of tax law selling season. And guess what? I think there actually is some truth to that. I think they do bounce. And you know what? When you look at the biggest losers of the Dow, there's definitely some redemption factors we battled in 2022. But for the most part, there are more much than purebreds. And even though I'm a love and rescue dog kind of guy, I don't see a lot here to like. But why don't we start with the worst performer? Uh, Walt Disney. Now, we own this one for the Chapel Trust. It hasn't been fun. It's experienced, uh, it's down 15%. 15% it was down last year. Now, some of what happens is pure optics. The Disney Plus story has become the same albatross around the stock's neck as the old ESPN story. The growth has plateaued. A lot of people worry it will be followed by a decline. I think it's nonsense. To me, Disney has the perfect balance of it at home, at theater, and on vacation assets. Once it's unparalleled and never to be duplicated. Once COVID runs its course, I'm betting they'll get a lot more credit for it. Right now, though, Disney seems rudderless, and and that's why this has become a one-step-forward, two-steps-back situation. It does have no momentum whatsoever. I think that could change now that 2022 has arrived in Memo. To the team there, you have to really get into the metaverse. Let me get into the movie Bambi and save Bambi's mom. I have to do it. Dow loser number two, 
Verizon. What can I say? It's a real dog and a real bad part of the stock market. These phone and cable companies are basically competitive utilities. They're not supposed to compete. Come on, man. Terrible place to be. I don't know how Verizon can become something else. At the moment, it's pretty much a higher yielding bond. But a higher yielding bond, the stock went down 12% last year. So the offset of the yield didn't help. Third, Boeing, genuinely tough. Owner for the Travel Trust. We do have a nice game. We're not idiots. I believe in the future of this business. I think there will be huge demand for its planes once Omicron dwindles. But Boeing can't seem to get out of its own way. Think about the litany of the last two years. 787 hangups, the fold of the company, by the way. They're going to cost Boeing shareholders billions. 737 deliveries hurt by execution. 777 stalled by big, uh, has a big charge. Defense losses all over the place. Most of all, customer defections. The saving grace here is that they've only got one real competitor. I just wonder why Boeing stock is this high. Perhaps it's because they just won a huge order from Allegiant for 5737 Maxes. Allegiant happens to be an Airbus customer. That could be an arbinger for a reversal of fortune. Fourth biggest loser is Amgen. Now, Amgen's just a dud. I mean, it truly is. I don't know how it got into the Dow. That was a mistake. This darn thing has the same market cap that it did seven years ago. I thought Amgen was supposed to be a growth company. But it's a, as biotechs go, it's a fossil. I'm aghast at its inability to create giant uh, blockbusters of any sort, given its tremendous track record in the earlier years of the last decade. Could it be because Amgen's run by Bob Rabway, who's a former banker who's created no value whatsoever? I think it's time for an actual scientist to run this firm. It is a science firm, by the way. Funnily enough, the best thing that Amgen has done under Bradway's tenure is a deal. He's a banker. Buying Celgene's big psoriasis drug, uh, that was, uh, Celgene was forced to sell that in order to get regulatory approval for the merger with Bristol-Myers. Maybe Bradway needs to sell Amgen to someone else and spend more time helping Boeing, where he's on the audit committee and chairs the finance committee. Explains a lot. Fifth biggest loser in the Dow makes me sad, and that's Honeywell. And I still can't believe it's on this list. Darius Adamczyk is a terrific CEO, and this company's been a long-term winner under both his leadership and under his predecessor, Dave Cody. Yet the stock dropped 2% last year. Why? Honeywell's got a sizable aerospace business, and it can't really diversify away from that, that well, uh, which is the only explanation for the disappointing last quarter. We own it for the Chowder Trust. We are big believers in all the other businesses. We even broke basis recently, meaning we paid up from our last buy, which we hate to do because of how much we believe in the stock. Perhaps it's just beginning to show its true worth today. Comes up a couple of smackers. Six Merck, extremely disappointing. It is one of the greatest anti-cancer franchises ever in Key Truda, but it's also failed in its best efforts to do anything meaningful for the pandemic while not growing its other drugs in the interim. Really disappointing. Merck's cheap. Its stock wants to run here. Witness its recent move on the hope that it had a partnership with a biotech or an antiviral drug that wasn't nearly as good as Pfizer's. But it was a move up in a very weak stock market, and that continued today. But I don't know what can sustain the rally. I, I'm not saying sell, 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 but how about sell, sell, sell? No. I mean something. How about one sell? Seventh is Visa. Now, this has been a horrendous stock for the last year, along with its compadre, MasterCard. However, that's often the prelude uh, with this stock for a very big move. It tends to have that. It's kind of like biblical, you know, like a jubilee year after like really bad year, lean year kind of thing. I know that sounds optimistic, but the recent pullback has to do with lots of smaller companies that we think are trying to take share in the payment space. thing is, Visa and MasterCard are so big and so powerful that these competitors are like gnats to them. You know what I mean? If you want to buy one, I'm telling CNBC Investing Club members that MasterCard's got the better growth. Still, Visa rarely stays down long. And if, if borders open post-COVID, it's going to be a terrific stock. Number eight is Walmart. 
And it's truly a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. When it looks good, it's broken hearts. And when it looks bad, you have to pull the trigger. The problem with that analysis, though, is that you don't want a stock that looks very bad and very, very good, very bad, very good. And that's what Walmart is. If they can't get more users of their plus offering, where it looks like they'll put the stuff right in the fridge for you now, and the stock goes higher as it did today, I might use it as a chance to sell. And not buy, because there are plenty of more consistent retailers. Um, I would like a, a six of uh, a Pacifico. Put in my, can you set that up for me? Okay, done. Right in my fridge. Now, uh, nine, 3M had a tough year, and yet it's still finished in the black, despite several guy downs based on several different divisions. Uncharacteristic for this great company. 3M owned the mass market, but couldn't seem to profit from it. It's been trying to get out of the real deep cyclical stuff and more into healthcare, but nothing that makes you want to jump up and down uh, over it. Plus, 3M has groundwater contamination issues, and those can really hurt as they breed class action lawsuits all over the place. Stock doesn't seem to want to go much lower here, but I can't think of anything to turn it around. Finally, there's Dow, the commodity chemical company. It's a kingpin. I like it. I believe in management, too. However, I don't like where we are in the chemical cycle, and they've almost all hit peaks, every single one of the chemicals. Bad stock, though, when the Fed starts tightening. There are better fish to fry. Do you think Walmart would object to sending liquor to me? How about a couple of T-bones? Just thinking out loud. Bottom line, there are a few comeback stories in the dogs of the Dow, but for the most part, I don't expect these dogs to have their day in 2022. I'm betting on Diz for the uh, charitable trust. Honeywell, there too. Um, this one I'm very skeptical about. That's like, you know, a wolf. And uh, I don't know, the rest, it's all to you. Craig and Marilyn, Craig. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I am doing well, Craig. Thank you for asking. How about you? Long time. I'm doing well, thanks. Long time listener, first time caller. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. I'm calling about RH, Restoration Hardware. Sure. They, they have been making customers and shareholders happy for almost 10 years. I have not been among them, and I want to be. On December 8th, they posted record earnings and raised 2022 guidance. The stock rallied 5% the next day, but is down 100 points or 16%. Since then, Jim, is this my time to establish a position? I'm so glad you asked about this because actually the high was in August at 744 and now it's at 505. So if you buy it now, you're certainly, of course, not hitting the top. This is exactly the kind of stock that I would buy some tomorrow. And a great quarter. It's going to have a really great year. And I really feel like what's happened is people say it's expensive. If it's that expensive, well, it's certainly a lot less expensive than it was when the darn stock was at 744. I agree with Craig from Maryland. You know what I say about Craig? He's got horse sense. Sometimes dogs turn into darlings. But for the most part here, I don't expect these dogs to have their day in 2022. Hey, no offense, right? Now, much more mad money ahead. Could a top be in store for inflation as we get into the thick of the first quarter? Who's thinking that? Well, I'm going off the charts with the help of the legendary Larry Williams to find out. An Omicron variant seems to be an unstoppable force. I'm discussing who got it right, who got it wrong in the fight against the disease. Eh, mm, you got it wrong was like, ah, mm. well, anyway. And Oreo calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Right 
now everybody's obviously worried about inflation. And that's the big story of the moment, especially at the release of those nasty stolen minutes today. For most of last year, the Fed was willing to go easy on us and allow inflation to run its course because it wanted to promote job growth. But with unemployment down to 4% now and prices continuing to rise and probably a red-hot employment number on Friday, they finally changed their course in late November. And that's when Fed Chief Jay Powell retired the term transitory, started talking about persistent inflation with the possibility of three or more rate hikes in the new year to cool down our overheated economy, of which, by the way, remember, I agree with. It is overheated. This has caused a sea change in the stock market. One that's been very obvious this week is the tech-heavy Nasdaq just keeps getting obliterated, down almost 7% for the year already, while the tech-light Dow Jones Industrial Average keeps climbing. High inflation means the Fed's no longer your buddy. It's your foe. And that changes the universe of stocks that can work. And by the way, when I say change, it shrinks it. Doesn't just make it uh, more oriented toward profit. It actually makes it so there's fewer stocks that we're going to like. But what if we're being too pessimistic on the inflation front? Tonight, we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams, the legendary technician and market historian who's been trading stocks, futures and commodities since I was in eighth grade at Enfield Junior High. Larry's written more than a dozen books and created tons of his own proprietary indicators, all of which you can find at his amazingly cool website, IReallyTrade.com. But yeah, some, of, some of our interactions, too, which I think is good. It, it just shows you how right he's been, frankly. More important, he's made a series of stunning contrarian calls since the pandemic took the world by storm two years ago, including a brilliant bottom call in April of 2020. At the time, everybody thought the sky was falling, but Williams looked at the data, predicted we'd start reopening in May, and that's exactly what happened. Home run call. Every year, we like to check in with Larry in January to get his forecast for the new year. Don't forget, he also called this incredible Santa Claus rally. And for 2022, he's got another contrarian call. Right now, like I said, everybody's terrified about inflation. This is the big story in the stock market. And if we get our arms around how it will play out, we'll have a much better sense of the broader market's trajectory. As William sees it, we're too worried about inflation. Too worried. He expects it to cool down faster than most experts do. Uh, And most of the experts, of course, love to predict that we're headed for a Weimar Germany-style hyperinflation all day. Every day, 24-7. But first, take a look at this inflation expectations chart just released by the Philadelphia Reserve, the uh, Federal Reserve. This is for the Consumer Price Index, okay? It's really interesting. The purple line at the bottom shows the inflation expectations curve back in December 2020. Uh, then the consensus was that inflation was on the rise, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened in 2021. But the green and blue lines show that inflation expectations from November and December of last year. And Williams points out that they're now curving lower, not higher, lower. Already, there's an expectation that inflation should abate within the next couple of years, in large part because the Fed has started promising a series of rate hikes. Sometimes just promising them takes inflation down. At this point, Williams believes that the purveyors of pessimism will be proven wrong. It's already showing up in the consensus inflation expectations. I think he's going to be right. It should be pretty easy for the Fed to get this situation under control, especially if it acts on today's minutes. And once we finally beat COVID, we can finally easily take care of the bottlenecks that are causing all sorts of price increases. I know you don't believe me about that, but you got to trust me. The bottlenecks are incredible, but they are eased once people start coming back to work. Now, there's more to the story. I want you to take a look at this chart of the Consumer Price Index going back to 2010. The CPI is in the black, okay? And Larry's cycle forecast for the CPI is in the red. 
He's a master at looking at the historical data and putting these cycle forecasts together. Based on his work, he thinks the consumer price index should be already be peaking. Who thinks that? While the forecast isn't a precise t- uh, tool, it suggests that the CPI should cool down over the course of the year. Williams thinks we'll start seeing evidence of this after we get through the first quarter. In his view, that should be uh, really the last bad quarter for inflation. Remember, you have to jump ahead of that. You can't wait to see it if you want to buy stocks, which brings us to the stock market. If Williams is right and inflation starts to abate faster than the Wall Street expects, then stocks should get a major boost because the Fed won't need to be as ruthless with the economy or with your portfolio. That's not the only reason Williams is bullish on stocks in 2022. He's always searching for patterns. One of his favorite is the decennial pattern, decennial, which can seem a little silly, but it's surprisingly useful. Now, I know this one's going to knock your socks off, but reason with me. Go with me. Check out this chart, which shows the action over the past year, coupled with forecasts for years ending in the number one in red. Number one. The red line is only showing you points where the market is likely to change course. You have to ignore the magnitude and just look at the direction of the moves. And by that standard, it was a pretty helpful guide in 2021. I know it's ridiculous, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It, 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 this method works. I mean, who the heck cares about the years ending in one or two or three for that matter? But the truth is, some of the strongest patterns in the market are also very dumb. Sometimes you want to try to make money. You need to embrace the market's seemingly irrational behavior or atypical patterns, whatever you want to call it. Now, what does that mean for 2022, a year that ends with a two? Well, the forecast for years ending in two is pretty choppy, with a substantial low expected in June or July. Then you, need, you tend to get another terrific buying opportunity around September, with the market tending to take off in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's pretty bullish. Williams also points out that historically, in years ending in the number two, you want to buy into any major sell-off. Hey, maybe that's what we're having right now, because usually you end up being very good at, well, it's a very good year for the market, so you're going to be very good for your portfolio. Finally, how about Larry's cycle forecast for the S&P 500 itself? On an immediate basis, he thinks the market's recent rally will hold up though the middle, through the middle of this month. Then the S&P will get hit with its first real correction, which is going to be brutal, okay? And, um, and that, correlate, that correction could take you a while to play out. But Larry's cycle forecast suggests that you're going to get a wonderful buying opportunity by late February. Now, if you want more detail on this or, or the year to any of the stuff I just went over, you got to go to his website, which is IReallyTrade.com. Like, kind of like I really trade. I really trade.com. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams suggest that inflation might cool down faster than most money managers anticipate, which would mean that 2022, which ends in the, in the number two, could be a much better year for the market than we're expecting. I like this. Bad Money will be back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy. It's time for the lightning round. Diane in New York. Diane. Hey, Jimmy boy. Yo, yo. How are you? I am well, thank you. How about you? Awesome, awesome. Live from New York City. Just wanted to say I'm loving your investment club. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, everyone should join. It's really fun. I do a lot for it. What's up? Thanks so much for that. So my question is about Illumina. Oh, man, I think Illumina is great, not just because Gottlieb is on the board. They've got unbelievable technology, and I love the diagnostic business by Illumina. Steve in California. Steve. 
Hey, Jimmy Kramer. Yo, Long yo, Steve. Time, first time food yet to you. There you go, Blue Eye back. Thank you, thank you. From me and my uh, awesomely autistic son, Griffin, who's a huge fan. He loves your rants and raves and your buzzer. That's buzzer. great. Thank I you. I think when he, you, when he sees you flailing your arms around, I think it makes him feel uh, more typical, frankly. Thank anyway. You. Thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> so, hey, I'm wondering if you think Peter Thiel's ATAI has got the magic to mushroom us some uh, money for my son's future. Thank you. Well- Okay, look, this is one that's down so low that it's now just a terrific spec, frankly. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you don't know. It's a roll of dice, but it's a spec. And I would not sell it down here. Six bucks, I'd be, I'd be a buyer. Let's go to Eli in New Jersey. Eli. Thank you so much, Jim, for all you do for us little uh, investors. I uh, love your thanks, show. Eli. I learned so, so much. Thank you, uh, buddy. My question is regarding a stock that IPO'd in July, Riskified, ticker symbol RS. No, no, IPO July is just like that. Like that's just an invitation to be Peloton. Um, I think that you should buy if you want that security. Buy Norton LifeLock. NLOK. We own it for the investment club, and it's closing on a very big deal. And I think that's the one to be in. Let's go to Barb in Michigan. Barb. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I was wondering what you think of the stock, Doc Simony. Well, I was right for a while. Now I've been wrong. I think the doctors love it. Ask your doctor. They're going to swear by it. This is not Teladoc, by the way, which has been completely peloton, if not toasted. Uh, I, I think that Docs is good, but like I said, I've been wrong. I think it's an indispensable product, and they make money, which to me says good growth. Let's go to Jeff in Indiana. Jeff. Hey, Jim. Hey, I wanted to know what your thoughts were on EPD. I like EPD. You got a good dividend. You've got growing volumes now. You got solid management. Uh, yield 7.8. That's my kind of stock. 22 bucks. That is a winner. I wish Jim Teague would come on. It would be great. Let's go to Andrew in Michigan. Andrew. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Young investor here looking at ticker CNHI. You know, I like that one very, very much. Anything ag, you know, I like deer. I like yours, too. I also like agco. I think that's a winner. We're going to take one more. We're going to go to Matt, New York. Matt! Booyah, Jim! Booyah, Matt. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing very well. Happy New Year to you, sir. Same to you. Same to you. Thank you very much. Hey, and thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm calling you with regards to... Uh, Calling you with regards to SoFi, they're they're down almost fifty percent from their fifty-two week high. Well, maybe and, what uh, happened Matt, is it should never have been up there. And by the way, someone did an unbelievable secondary and got the hell out of that thing at a really good price. I actually like to know more about the secondary than I would about the stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. As Omicron continues to rage. Kramer's eyeing the nation's COVID strategy and sharing a few choice words with the CDC. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. We now know that Omicron can't be stopped. Even if we had the tools, we don't have the political will. That's been the story over and over since the beginning of the pandemic. Last year, we had a chance to wipe out COVID or at least make it a lot less dangerous. But then the government wimped out. 
by refusing to issue a serious vaccine mandate. That's why America has the lowest vaccination rate in the developed world. And we did very little to spread vaccines to the rest of the world, which is how Omicron ended up incubating overseas. Even though the vaccines can't prevent you from getting infected with this new strain, it can absolutely keep you out of the hospital. It's the difference between getting a nasty, possibly lethal flu and just getting a cold. The real problem is that we can't yet stop the virus in its tracks with the new Pfizer pill, something that can't be made fast enough and may require the president to invoke the Defense Production Act in order to force all drug makers to produce the pill. That would be very easy for them to do, but Biden seems hesitant. If we had a stockpile of these things, we'd be golden, even with our terrible vaccination rate. But the administration favored vaccines over antivirals, and we blew that too. Which leaves the question, why does this variant spread so rapidly? Obviously, it's inherently more contagious. What has truly made this thing unstoppable is the CDC. The organi- that organization seemed to believe, as did the president, that we could have unlimited COVID tests. That way, you'd be able to know when you were sick and stay home accordingly. The problem is we don't have enough tests. Every time the virus recedes, the manufacturers would stop production, which is what happened before we got hit with Delta and then again with Omicron. Once the CDC realized we don't have enough tests, they basically threw in the towel, saying you can go back to work if you feel good five days after a positive test, (laughs) even though there's ample evidence that you're still highly contagious on days six and seven. But without enough tests, I guess the CDC just said to hell with it. Go knock yourself out. In short, uh, they've given up. What happened to those 500 million tests that President Biden promised us? Could we have slowed this thing with more testing? Of course. And there are billions of tests available for us overseas. But somehow the FDA seems to be blocking them here, leaving only some smaller players at Abbott Labs, which has got two plants working 24-7 to produce their Binax-style antigen tests. The whole concept of getting a PCR test, if expensive, by the way, and thinking you're fine that day so you have the freedom of movement is completely false, as you can easily test positive a few hours after you get it. Time to stop that nonsense. Antigen tests right before you go into public are what's needed. But thanks to our hapless public health apparatus, we don't have them. So we blew it once by not insisting that everyone get vaccinated. We blew it again by not having enough tests, even as many developed countries have a surfeit of them. We blew it a third time by ignoring the scientists and letting unwitting Omicron zombies go out and infect us. We're in danger of blowing it a fourth time by not putting in the circuit breakers to prevent hospital chaos, the ones that were suggested on air by Dr. Jeremy Faust. I believe this is now a matter of national security. It needs to be bracketed that way. That means you're probably going to get Omicron if you haven't already. And we have no one to blame but a timid government that's been suboptimal every step of the way. Remarkably, it's industry that's gotten it right. The bureaucrats at the FDA, CDC, and NIH, a bunch of good deed doers who have crushed us. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The News with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.